Picture it. Cincinnati, Ohio, 2016. The sun is shining. The birds are singing. The wind is blowing through the silky locks of a gorilla named Harambe. Oh, my bad. Wrong gorilla. We'll always remember you, Harambe. Welcome to the Hard Times Strongman Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about gorillas. We're recording this episode on gorillas because this is important. This is something that everybody should know. This is the the whole point of this entire project. What we've been pushing towards laying down this foundation, raising the bar, raising this baseline is for this. Everybody has a duty. Everybody has a responsibility to protect themselves, your families, your communities, your neighbors. Part of that is becoming a proficient gorilla. So by the end of this, you're going to have hopefully a clear understanding of what a modern day gorilla fighter is or isn't and does or does not do. We're doing this just because uh, time may come when we all may need to defend ourselves, our family, our property, our town, or our country. That being said, let me just explain that we are very loyal patriots. We both fought for our country. We went overseas. We faced off against the Taliban. We believe that there's a lot of good that's been done here in this country. We would not have volunteered to put our lives on the line if we didn't believe in that. However, we aren't blind to what's been happening across the globe, you know, especially with the unrest happening both here and abroad. I'm just going to specify that we are not here to look for a fight. We're not encouraging people to go out and look for a fight. We are just peaceful people that honestly just want to be left alone. I'd, I'd even say with without a but. We're patriotic, freedom-loving Americans period. If you go back to our roots, that's why people immigrate here from England to the to the colonies. They want to be left alone. They wanted to live their life as they wanted to live it. And there came a point to where they had to defend themselves, whether that's, you know, from the locals, from, you know, the American Indian population, and, you know, eventually from a, from a tyrannical government. But we're trying to go back to our roots here. We're trying to you know, revitalize old habits for Americans. You should be able to look out for yourself and your community. And that statement, it's a lot broader than uh, just soldiering or military operations. Yeah, that's that's pretty all-encompassing. Because if you think back 200 years, which wasn't honestly that long ago, that's just a couple generations. The vast majority, it seems, of the people that came over here were farmers. You know, they were hunters. They were They were traders. You know, okay, some were lawyers, some were bankers, some were, you know, shop owners, but a good portion of people were farmers. Nobody was a soldier. So they had to learn these tactics being taught by someone that was in the British military or even, you know, the French military, Spanish military, doesn't matter. They learned basically how to be soldiers, how to be militia, how to be guerrillas from people who had experience. A great book, The Swamp Fox, talking about Francis Marion. So a lot of these guys even learned new tactics because we're talking about colonial America. So we're talking about revolutionary warfare type tactics, you know, standing in rows, you know, sending a volley, taking a knee, sending another volley. All these guys that fought in those conflicts even learned from their adversaries. So the French and the Indians, and they incorporated that into their tactics. Right. Cause who wants to stand in line and get shot at? I don't. Yeah. Have you seen a, have you seen a musket ball? Oh yeah. It's a smooth ball of lead. It's atrocious. 
and you know, fun historical fact that a lot of the militia guys, you know, turned and ran as soon as they, you know, got within shooting distance. But that's neither here nor there. Good opportunity to distinguish guerrillas from militiamen because there's a lot of stigma on those on those two camps, on those two words. Right. And I feel like a lot of people haven't actually done the research to look into what each of those actually is. So when you think of a militia or a militiamen, a lot of people have in their minds, you know, white supremacists, you know, camping out in a tool shit out in back East or, <laughs> you know, whatever, cooking up moonshine and all this crap, right? But really what a militia is, by definition, is military force that's raised from the general populace, raised from Jack and Jill's, just you or me, you know, people that don't have real military experience and they're supporting their regular military. Whereas a guerrilla, it's still the locals, but they're not trained. They're performing all these, you know, combat operations in enemy held territory. So for people who have seen Red Dawn, the protagonists, the main group are a bunch of high school kids and then Russians start falling from the sky, but they don't have these skills. They don't have any infrastructure. They don't have any real support. And then they're going and having to go and fight this huge war machine on their own. Right. They had to learn everything on the fly. Everything. And we'll get into that, but just so militiamen, it's essentially state-sponsored military force, guerrilla, you're on your own, enemy-held territory. And the whole point is to try to you know, reduce the effectiveness of the, of the occupying force. You are not trying to, <laughs> you're not trying to go conventional warfare on this threat that makes you infinitesimally small. I mean, if you don't want to go with the Red Dawn reference, let, let's look at this from real world examples. So if we're talking about militia, you, I mean, we can talk about the Revolutionary War all the time. They had militia, they had the reputation of turning and running. And, you know, like you said, the Swamp Fox, he took that reputation and turned it on its head because he let them continue to think that the militia is just going to turn and run. But he organized a band of militia who basically did guerrilla warfare. And they were extremely effective. They were incredibly demoralizing to the British soldiers to the point to where some British officers would not operate in his area. Right. Simply because he was, you know, such a harassing force, you know, they had the reputation of being everywhere at once, but he ran his guys ragged. Yeah. If I remember right, he also targeted the officers first. Yeah. His, so his marksman would target the officers first, but uh, getting into guerrilla warfare, he, you know, rarely, 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 you know, tried to go head to head with these guys. Right. You know, he was, it was all, it was always ambush tactics, raids, harassing fire, that sort of thing. Because I mean, at any one time he, you know, had like a couple hundred guys mm -hmm. on a good, on a, on a good week because a lot of these guys, because it was militia, right. They'd be in, you know, near their hometown. And it's like, Oh, I can't go too far away from my plantation. And so if they had to go and, to an operation a couple hundred miles away and say, ah, that's not for me. Yeah. Or if they were starting to lose, then he'd have people turn on them. He had spies, like just all sorts of nonsense. Right, yeah. And actually an even more modern day uh, militia would have been the Ukrainian civilians. Actually up until including when Russia invaded Ukraine, Ukrainian civilians were taking up arms and getting trained by the Ukrainian military and special forces on basic rifle marksmanship, basic tactics, everything that they needed to know how to be actual militia because 
I mean, they needed them. Look, look at the size of Russia. Like their their military is huge. Their technological advantage is huge. Right up until everybody started sending <laughs> weapons, money, and uh, supplies to Ukraine, then that kind of like even the battlefield. But that was the end of the bush as far as Ukraine was concerned, because the rest of the conventional forces for Ukraine ended up doing guerrilla warfare on the Russians, and it's been extremely effective. I think that's the one difference between the militia and the guerrillas that I actually respect the hell out of is just how effective their operations are. Especially with the farm debate in the States, a lot of people say, good for you, you have your AR-15, you know, you have your assault rifle, whatever they call it. Uh, it's not like you're going to take on the government. The government has jets, the government has tanks, the government has, you know, bombs, machine guns. You know, how are you going to... You know, how are you going to fight that? And, you know, to that we say we have, you know, a lot of historical examples. You know, recent memory, there's Vietnam, Afghanistan, you know, most recent being the war in Ukraine. Uh, people united with even minimal supply, minimal training can get a lot of work done. You know, we're not talking about uh, conventional fighting, you know, this your huge army fighting this huge army it's more a war of attrition there's you know a lot of harassing fire raids ambushes a small force can be absolute hell to an army because they have that mobility they have that flexibility that adaptability so we made that distinction between a militia being state-sponsored kind of you know state trained state run and the guerrilla just, you know, being strictly local, no real support, uh, you know, no intelligence uh, gathering except for what you can offer. Um, you're not getting supplied by the state. You know, you're basically acting on goodwill. And that's why especially psyops and uh, civil relations are such a huge thing for guerrilla fires. They are entirely reliant on what they can bring to the table and what they can gather and what they can actually get from locals who are friendly to their cause and that as a guerrilla will make or break you because throughout history you have to have to have to play to the local population and get them on your side it's it's the hearts and mind concept if you don't you're facing an uphill battle on your own you are literally on your own at that point with without the civilians so that's a lot of what we're seeing with the ukraine situation right right exactly yeah because as, as far as what they were going through they were just normal people going about their daily lives when russia invaded them the civilians there had no form of military training they had to scrounge for food and money they were dependent on other countries for food money weapons additional forces uh they became targets for war crimes which has been documented lately the ukrainians that left ended up becoming refugees because they didn't want to fight so they ended up going to other countries and they became reliant on those countries for their good graces to give them shelter, to give them food, to give them clothes, to give them, I mean, even jobs. They had to earn a living. They had to be able to pay for stuff. Yeah, I mean, even the Ukrainians that didn't leave. So, you know, guerrilla fighters, if you're in enemy-held territory, you have to provide everything that a conventional military has. You still need food. You still need water. You still need arms and ammunition. You still need clothing. I mean, and income. You still need an income, so you need a way to to generate that. Otherwise, your cause is dead in the water. 
as are you. Absolutely. And I bet those uh, I bet the civilians that stayed now kind of wish that they had trained, stockpiled, and created their networks there in Ukraine. Yeah. Not even specifically talking about, you know, guerrilla fighters. Think about the riots. All the, you know, that huge uptick in firearm sales that we saw. I can't imagine living in a big city and then just seeing fire out your out your window. Like you said, a lot I bet a lot of people were hoping that they had a firearm. I bet a lot of people were wishing they had training. I bet a lot of people were wishing that they even just had food and water stored up. There's a lot that goes into this. Exactly. And these situations that we've seen throughout history, all the way back to the American Revolution with the colonists uprising against Britain, with the Dutch, French, and even Jewish resistances rising up against the Nazi powers that had essentially conquered Europe and tried to conquer Asia, all the way to present time with the Ukrainian civilians military rising up against their Russian invaders. This is why we strongly encourage people to seek out knowledge, to seek out training, to seek out networking with your neighbors, with your friends, your coworkers, whatever, like-minded people. Because society as a whole is a fragile concept. It wouldn't take much of a push in one direction or another for a lot of things to just collapse. And then you wouldn't have access to supermarkets, your food, your basic medical supplies. They wouldn't be there. Well, like you said, you know, the original colonists were farmers. The whole industrial revolution, the society as we know it right now is not how is not how people operate. Not historically how, you know, society is supposed to run or how it can survive. Like this is a this is an oddity. We as a people need to be more more diligent in relearning all of these past skills. All right, so you should know how to, you know, collect and purify water, how to, you know, source and uh, process game, other food. I mean, all these things that we're relying on, like you said, supermarkets or department stores, they're they're not going to be around forever. So, you know, besides arms and, you know, militancy, we need to be training, you know, this whole this whole spectrum. So that's why we're here. That's why we're trying to you know, talk people through things. And even if you don't want to learn how to process game, this is why we encourage networking because if you don't know it, someone else does. And that's a yeah. very, very important thing to have at your disposal. I don't remember who said it, but you know, the quote, your network is your net worth means a lot. Okay. So I have a buddy redacted and he is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. I mean, he's, you know, in his late twenties, but the guy is just a, a powerhouse for that. You know, he's a he's a walking library of information and just skill set. So surround yourself with people that are better than you. Bring something to the table. You know, because you know, even like you said, recent history with COVID. I mean, just right now in the states, you know, the baby formula shortage. That I mean, we're talking about even more food shortages just in general. With COVID, we, for some reason, people bought a lot of toilet paper. I don't know why, but there was shortage on that. <laughs> the best part was uh, one day I walked into Target and watched somebody trying to return like 18 packages of it. The managers told him, no, get out. You're keeping it. We're not giving you a refund. I just laughed and kept walking. You get what you deserve. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, Hopefully by now you can understand the difference between a guerrilla and a militia, and we've given you enough 
knowledge for you to be able to discern what a gorilla actually is or isn't and what they can do or not do. Seven, you want to give us some of the references for this? Yeah, of course. And, you know, going forward with the series, we're going to dig more into that. You know, like you said, what a gorilla can and cannot do or should do. But for today, for our accountability and for your further learning, if you want to dig deeper, we got into FM 31-21, Guerrilla Warfare and Special Forces Operations. We opened the Oxford Constitutional Law Dictionary. I read The Swamp Fox by John Aller and Ordinary Men by Christopher Browning. So next few podcasts, we're going to go over your basic warrior tasks. So your shoot, move, communicate. And further on, we're going to be talking about basic medical. We're going to be talking about networking. Hell yeah. All right. I'm seven. That's six. We're hard time strong men. Stay safe and be better. Don't forget to like, comment, share with your friends. Thanks, everybody.